Good morning, church. My name is Paul Irvinger. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, if you were here last week, I am not Robin Wood. Um, Robin Wood is a good friend of mine, um, but it's great to be back. I miss you guys so much. Missing one week feels like missing a month. There's so much that happened, and I wish I could have been here for it. But I'm so excited to kick off this new series with you guys today. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news or have ever heard of, there's, there's this street artist in the UK known as Banksy. And he's a politically activated guy, but, but he kind of has gotten this renown and gotten this following. And, and he reached this point where he actually painted something not just on the side of a building, where he painted it on a canvas and he put it up for sale at an auction. The interesting thing is, he had a little, little extra in his painting that was for sale that eventually sold for $1.4 million U.S., but I'm going to actually show you the video of the, sale, the sale of one of his masterpieces called Girl with a Balloon um, right now. Let's go ahead and show that video. Yes, there was a shredder hidden in the bottom of the frame. And so when the gavel slammed at $1.4 million, the button was pressed, the masterpiece was shredded, even though it didn't shred all the way. And can you imagine the tension in the room? This thing just sold for over a million dollars, and now it's half destroyed. And the security guards who were there to protect the, the painting, they come and, you know, I don't know what good it's doing now, like they're going to just move it out of the room, that it's halfway shredded. The security guards were there to protect the painting from the people, but they didn't realize they needed to protect the painting from the painting itself. And so much in our life and so much in our, our struggle to live for God, our fight isn't against someone else. We don't need to be protected from the influence of someone else. We need to be protected from ourselves. There's this self-destruct mode that wasn't just in his painting, but I'd say if you've tried to live for God for a little while, you would say what the Apostle Paul has said, you know, the things that I want to do are the things that I feel like I can never do, but the things that I know I shouldn't are the things that I keep finding myself doing. And there's this internal struggle, this battle with the flesh that we fight against that, that can be destructive, that can pull us down and pull us away from where we feel like we're, we're trying to go. And we're diving into a brand new series today, and, and it's really just kind of geared after that, that heart of fighting against the person that we don't want to be anymore, knowing that our life needs to change, knowing that we need to get out of some habits, that we need to get out of some addictions, that we need to make some different choices, but the thing that keeps holding us back isn't someone else. It isn't the fight against the devil, and that's a fight, and it isn't the fight against the world, but that, that is a fight too, but it's the fight against our own flesh. And God has written, and he's given us instructions of, of how to fight this fight, how to win this fight. He hasn't just given us instructions. He's given us much more than that. But we're going to look at four different keys. And the first one today is found in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can open with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to mostly be looking at verses 1 through 4. And we're going to put these words up on the screen behind me as I read them. And it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, the first part of this is who it's written to. This is written to people who have placed their faith and their trust and their belief in Jesus Christ. This is written to the Christian, to the believer, 
And it's an instruction in how to live. It starts off, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. This is that person who's made that decision. They've realized the truth, that I have sinned. I have messed up. I have made mistakes. And no matter how much good I do, I can't make up for those mistakes. The only way that I can have a clean slate, the only way that I can have forgiveness, is through what God did through Jesus' life and death on the cross and his resurrection. And because I've placed my, my faith in that, I know I'm forgiven. I know I have new life. And as it says, it says, we've been raised to new life with Christ. And then it gives, it gives this instruction. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now, I'm someone who I like to see things the way they are. I would not describe myself as an optimist, but I also would not necessarily describe myself as a pessimist. I just like to, in my opinion, see it the way it is. Like if there's a cup and, and it's half filled with water, it's not half full and it's not half empty. It's half full of water and it's half full of air. And the air is 21% oxygen and 78% nitrogen. And the other 1% is stuff that we wish we weren't breathing. And don't even get me started on what's actually in the water. Like I like to see the reality of what's going on in the situation. And the scripture's instruction is to set your eyes, set, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And when we say that, there's almost this, because, it, because it's far away, because we haven't seen what heaven looks like, there's almost this, this thought within our head that when we're setting our sights on realities of heaven, we're seeing things that aren't yet or aren't real yet. But the fact is, heaven is more real than what you're experiencing right now. I mean, so many of the things that weigh on our shoulders of other people's expectations, other people's opinions, what this person thinks uh, about what I wear. If you think I need a comment card telling me about my clothes, I, just, I don't. Like, it, your opinion of my clothes doesn't matter, even though, like, we, we want to live well together. But the fact is, the opinions, these things are so temporal. They're not even real. The opinions of the people who, who are giving you anxiety, those opinions are going to be gone in an instant. But the things that are true in heaven are already true here on earth, and they're going to be true forever. Our life, as scripture describes, it's like a morning mist. It's here one second, and then it's gone the next. But it doesn't just disappear. It enters into a reality that will always be true. And the instructions to set our sights on the realities of heaven, it's supposed to impact your mind. It's supposed to impact the way that you see the world. We should begin to see the world through the reality of what heaven is like. We should see the people around us in this church congregation. We should see the people around us at Publix down the street. We should see the people around us in the pickup line at the elementary school through the eyes of what's true in heaven. Because it's easy to kind of have these two split perspectives. There's like the negative side we fall to and the overly positive side that we fall to. And we want to find that accurate place because, you know, just for, for example, if there was a young woman in the church who's carrying a child by herself and the dad isn't around, it just seems so historical that when that person comes to church that they wouldn't be welcomed, that they would be pointed at, if someone new walked in and saw them at church, there'd be this question, why is someone like that at church? If there was someone who walked into church and they smelled of cigarettes and their clothes were tattered, there would be this compulsion of, oh, why did that person come to church this way? And that's one way to see it. That's one way to ha have your eyes look at the situation. But another way to look at it is say, man, how awesome is it that this young, young mom is making sure her child is in church? How awesome is it that she is getting her life to where it needs to be? How awesome is it that the congregation, the body of Christ, has the opportunity to love and help take care of her? 
how awesome is it, even though he's still smoking cigarettes and, that, that, and he's doing that, and he, he looks like he's still got some other stuff that we don't know about going on, how awesome is it that he's in church today? Because the fact is, the biggest mess that you could portray, no matter how far outside God's design it has been, that is a canvas and that is an opportunity for a story and a picture of redemption. And we see the reality of the world around us through the reality of the eyes of heaven. When we set our eyes on the realities of heaven, we don't, see some, we don't ever see someone as a lost cause. Because then we're saying, God, you're, you are powerful enough to speak the earth into existence. Your, your voice, it, it caused the stars to be formed. But that guy, you, you can't touch, you can't help. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, we know that. And so we as a people and we as a church, we don't ever see someone as a lost cause because we look at them knowing that no matter what has happened in the past, that God still has a future for them. And so when we set our eyes on the realities of heaven, we look and we say, you know what? I see a story that is not finished being written. I see a portrait that is not done being painted yet. And the, the encouragement to see that, man, it's easy to apply that to other people though, isn't it? But if we talk about your struggles, when we talk about your family, your family relationships, your, your workplace and the issues going on right now, we've got to see those through the realities of heaven as well. Because it's, it's, for some strange reason, easier for us to show grace to someone else than it often is ourself. And we have to see our own life's situation through the realities of heaven as well. Some people, you know, they, just, they don't see it through the reality of heaven. They just kind of see it through the reality of hell everywhere. Like everything is just terrible. Everything is going wrong. Everything is falling apart. And I, I want to I make my first point this way. And it's simple, and I'll say that it's biblical and it's also psychological. But, but it is a true statement that what you look for, you will find. That if you want to see a terrible situation all over the culture and all over the world and all over America, you will find a terrible situation to see. If you want to find stories of hope, stories of love, stories of redemption, you will find them all across this city. You will find them all across this world. And what you look for, you will find. It's absolutely true. And as you set your, your eyes on the realities of what heaven is like and the, what the kingdom of God on earth should look like, you're going to begin to see that everywhere. And, and th this is titled, um, you know, the Selective Attention or Confirmation Bias. Stanford professor Arnold Zwicky writes about it, and he calls it the frequency illusion. And you guys have experienced that. That was all a fancy way to say, like, you remember when you were shopping for a car uh, on, on Kelly's or wherever you like to look for cars, Auto Trader, you know, Dodge Grand Caravan. I have four kids, so that's what I look for. We'll pretend you were looking for a Dodge Challenger. But you've done this, where you're looking and you're researching a car and all of a sudden, this car that you've never really thought up before, as you start driving through the city, you're like, man, there are Dodge Challengers everywhere. Like, everywhere I go, like, there's another one. Like, they, they were never here before. But all of a sudden, like, they're just everywhere. This is a really good car. I definitely have to buy this car because everyone has this car because it must be such a great car. It's everywhere. And what's happened is because you've put this Dodge Challenger into your head, there's part of your subconscious that looks for it and is like, not a Dodge Challenger, not a Dodge Challenger. And then once you see it and you give it your attention, then you begin to build this confirmation bias. Well, it's everywhere. And it's true with cars, but it's also true with more negative things. Everybody in my workplace, they're just all against me. Anytime someone walks by and they don't make eye contact with me, they're making eye contact with me. They're not making eye contact with me because they were talking about me. They were talking about me because they're trying to get me fired. Everybody's against me. 
And it works in negative ways as well. It's not just cars, but it happens with people. And it's that thing of what you look for, you will find. And you'll find and you'll create situations where you push people away because you don't trust them. And then they, they start to not trust you. And it happens. But here's the good news. That, that these things that work for evil, they also can be used to work for good. And, and this is why scripture instructs us in what's supposed to be happening in our mind. And doesn't just leave it to chance. But it says, set, set, set it. Don't just let it happen. Don't just, you know, go through whatever you were thinking about and looking at in the day. But, but set your mind on the things of heaven. And, and so if we look and we say, you know what? This person it, it, that's been a challenge for me, this person is an opportunity for me to show love and grace to. You know, when I go into Publix, man, look, someone just opened the door for someone else. Someone pulled a cart in for someone else. You can look and you can begin to use the same thing that's true. It biologically happens in your mind where you look for what you're thinking about. And you will find it. And if you fill your mind, if you fill your attention with scripture and things of God, you're going to find God at work all throughout your day. And it's going to change the way that you see and experience everything. It's going to change the way that you're a spouse to, to, your, other, to your significant other. It's going to change the way that you're a parent to your kids. It's going to change the type of employee you are. And it's going to change the type of peace and joy you experience if you will dictate what you allow your mind to be focused on. Because in this battle for the way that we live, this battle is, is largely fought in our mind, in what we think, in what we allow to fill our mind. And so it says, you know, to set your sights, set to your sights on the realities of heaven. And then in verse 2, it, it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What you think about, it, it matters. And this is just one of those random quotes that has always stuck in my head since my youth pastor at age 17, he told me this. He said, when it comes to your thought life and, and keeping it under control, it, it's, he said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. And, and, and so are our thoughts. Like, I understand there's some thoughts that they, they just fly through. And, and some thoughts, they need to keep on flying, and you need to not let them take up residence on your head. You, you need to make a decision that, that there's not space for that in my life. That that thought, that anxiety, that worry, that unfounded thing that is taking root in my mind right now, it needs an eviction notice. And, and the way that we do that is we think about things that are true. We think about things that, that this is why scripture teaches us to meditate on the word of God. And, and that helps us memorize it so that we can use it as a tool that when we face anxiety, we, we can say, you know, I'm going to cast all my anxiety on him because he cares for me. And we, we apply scripture and we meditate scripture and we use it to fight off those things and those thoughts that don't deserve to have space in our mind. And sometimes I know you wake up and it's like the, the day has started poorly and the, the day has started in a way that I, just, I was on the wrong side of the bed and I was in the wrong mood and, and I can't just, I can't change the way that I feel. We can't change the way that you feel, but you can change the way that you think. And when you change the way that you think, it will eventually change the way that you feel. And I understand that it doesn't happen quickly, but we have authority over the things that we continue to think about. And so when we wake up and the day is just going wrong, I don't want you to finish the day the way that you started the day. And even when you wake up and things are great, man, I don't want you to finish the day when you, the way you started because even if you wake up and things are great, it can get better as you continue to apply this discipline to the way that you live. That, that his thoughts and his selfishness and his anger comes in, that you can replace that and you can push that out with the thoughts of, of how you know you're supposed to live. 
You know, if I wake up and, and I'm in a bad mood and I'm just thinking about me, man, that's probably part of the problem is I wake up just thinking about me and what I want to do and what I want to have when I need to wake up and I need to be thinking of other people. I need to be thinking of people in the church. You know, if you need to pray for someone in the church, you can pray for Gary and Bruce because there are so many Gary and Bruce's in this church, you will pray for 15 different people. I mean, like, I like to say my three favorite guys at, at Golfside is, is Gary, Bruce, and you. Like, and that covers everyone. Um, <laughs> Because we have so many of them. But just thinking of other people, it's kind of one of those funny things that when we are in bad moods, and it's hard to get this started, I'll acknowledge that. When you're in a bad place, it's hard to get this started. But as soon as you start investing your heart and your prayers and your thoughts into someone else, and you've been in a bad mood, God does this weird thing, and you're designed to do this, where it's like that bad mood starts to push out the more that you invest into other people. This is part of our design to serve each other. And this is part of also why if you've been living a life where you only care for your own needs, you don't quite feel right because you were designed to serve other people. This is who we are. This is the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Christ. Each person has been given a gift and a purpose and a calling, and we're not using that. We feel strange. We feel awkward. We feel like something's not right because our design is to be someone who serves and loves the other people around us. And we can, get, we can get caught up in this toxic forecast of like these thoughts that are just, it's negative, negative, negative. And I, I want to I wanna encourage you that negative thoughts, they can't lead to a positive life. Negative thoughts, they can't lead you to a positive place. And, and so if you let them take root, if you let them take authority and take a position in your mind where they just are there all the time, it's not going to help you get to the place that you want to be. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying positive thinking as some replacement for God. Positive thinking, like no matter how positive you are, if it doesn't line up with reality, it doesn't matter how strongly you believe it. But here's the truth. Do you believe that we have a good heavenly father? Yes. Do you believe that he has a plan and a purpose to your life? Do you believe that he can take all things and make them work for good for those who love him? Yes. Then we don't believe in this toxic forecast of where our life is going to be. And so when we allow these negative things to take reign and take root in our life, they are taking up the space that our calling and, and scriptural promises should be taking in our mind. They're, they're, they're taking up the space of how we see the people around us. When we allow these, these toxic forecasts of what life is going to be like and how we've been feeling and how depressed we are and how, and how much anxiety is in our life, when we let those things take reign in our life, it's taking up the space that other things should be taking, other things that have benefit, other things that have purpose in our life. Negative thoughts, they can't lead, negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life. We have to control our thoughts. We have to control our thoughts. And taking control of our thoughts, it's simple, it's it's so basic, it's almost so elementary that it, it feels offensive as an adult to be sitting here saying, this is what we have to do. We have to take captive our thoughts. But this is how we win this battle in our mind. This is, this is the prescription for improving our mental health in certain areas. Taking control of our thoughts is the prescription to a happier and healthier life. In, in the I'm always very careful when I say this, and you'll know why. In the Annals of Internal Medicine, I have to say that slowly, um, they, they wrote an article about people who were trying to get better, people who went to a doctor and got a prescription for medicine. And, and they narrowed the statistics down to 100 people. And they said if 100 people went, got a prescription, right away, 33% of them, one-third, would never even get it filled. 
which is crazy. It's like if you know something's going on and you went to the doctor and they said something's going on, 33%, 33 of the 100 instantly just will never get it filled. Of that remaining 66%, another a half of that, 33 more percent, will, will get it filled but will never take or never finish their prescription. They won't take it properly. And, and so now we're talking about 33% of all people who go to the doctor and get a prescription will never complete what they know they need to do to get healthy. This is the crazy part to me. This statistic is still true for people who got an organ transplant. Now look, this says something about the way that we take care of ourselves. We can know the most simple and basic thing that we have to do to get better, but there's something just within us that just pushes it away. The funny thing is the only time that you see prescriptions given and fulfilled and seen all the way through at a higher rate is when the prescription comes from a veterinarian. Why are we taking better care of our dogs than ourselves, people? <laughs> it, I, I mean, it, it's funny, but it, there's just that part of us that it's like, it leads to that self-destruct. We know what we need to do, but even just as simple as, man, just take, take that pill that you know you need. It, it becomes something that we neglect and we push off. And I think one of the things that happens is we begin to get healthy and we determine, okay, I, I did that. I took the pills for a couple weeks and I'm feeling better now. So now I don't need them. So I'm going to get rid of them. When the doctor who knows what you need to do has said, you need to see it all the way through. And then, and then we relapse. And I mean, this happens especially, and I want to I wanna pause on this, this for just a second. But it happens a lot with people who have anxiety People who have depression, they start to feel better, and then they, they say, well, I don't want to do the meds anymore. If you have a mental illness, whether it be bipolar, whether it be depression, it's okay to, to have that fight. And it's okay to need a health care provider to help you work through it. And it's okay to talk to people in this church about the fact that, that you, you, you deal with that. It's okay to not just be generally across the board okay. And I, I want to encourage you as your pastor that if you take anxiety medication, that, that, that is okay. And I believe that there's still steps that you need to take in learning to conquer the thoughts um, that, that come in that are unwarranted, that are non-biblical fears. I believe that you need to learn to conquer the, those thoughts in some way, but I believe it's okay for you to be on medication as well. And if you've struggled with depression or suicidal thoughts, that the church is a place for you to come talk to someone about it. And, and if you need help from people at church, if you need help from a counselor, that is okay. That is all right. Because those thoughts that creep in, we know that they're powerful. We've seen it happen in people across our, our culture's world stage where, where the thoughts were completely unwarranted, but they were there so long that they took control of their life in a way that they never should have. And especially as the people of God, we need to be people who can identify that that, that statement that is, that is continuing to pop in my mind, that is not true. That does not have a right to be in my life. I am gonna, I'm going to think about the things of heaven. I'm going to think about the things that I know are true. I'm going to think about scriptural promises, and I'm not going to let these lies take hold. Um, I, I, just a few weeks ago, had one of those days where I woke up, and it was like, internally in me, it was just the worst day ever. And I... My wife could see it on my face, and she was just like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel hopeful right now. And, and, and it was a bad place to be in, and she, you know, she went and she told on me to one of my pastor friends 
And uh, he came and was like, hey, let's go get coffee and bought me a, a coffee. And that helped improve the situation just right there. Um, but he, he just started going through with me. He's like, what are you thinking about? Like, what, what, how, how could you possibly be down right now? Like, do you see what God is doing in your church? Do you see what God is doing in your family? Do you see what God has said about you in Scripture? And, and though, you know, because of my mood, I was reluctant to receive it at first, but I knew those things were true. I knew that the things that I, were fe- I was feeling, they were lies. And so I just had to focus on the things that I knew were true, the things that a friend was speaking to me. And, and it, slowly, it slowly just brought me out of it. And I wasn't in there for more than a day, but I was in that place. But I want to tell you, like, the, the thing that, that makes us draw back from people, the thing that, that makes us feel like everything is hopeless, that is defeated by changing what we think. And I also want to tell you, you need someone who, like, I have that friend um, who spoke into my life and said, hey, you are not seeing, you're not thinking right, you need to change the way you see this. You need that friend. And I believe the church is, is supposed to be a source of those people in your life. Where you can say, I am not feeling hopeful right now. I am not feeling okay right now. I am feeling anxious. Where you can find people where you can say that to, and they say, okay, I, I understand why you feel that way, but let's look at the truth. Let's look at the truth about who your heavenly father is. Let's look at the truth about what is going to matter forever. Let's look at the truth about who God is making you become right now and remind you of the reality of the situation and not the lies that try to take root, not the things that try to stay in our life because we need to make a change to the way that we've thought. We, as we become Christians, it's easy to say, okay, I need to stop lying, cheating, stealing. I need to stop doing that list of things. But we often don't even think about controlling our thoughts But changing our thoughts is the key to all those other life changes. In in verse 3 it says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We need to die to the old way of thinking and the old way of living because God has something better for us. And in fact in this passage, down into verses 5, 6, 7, it begins to just create this list of things that we need to put to death if they're in our life. Because they don't have a place there. Because they're destructive. But the place that all of that The foundation for defeating that, it's all found in the way that we think. It's all found in the way that we see the world around us. The follower of Christ puts the old life to death, I believe, one, puts it to death one thought at a time. We change the way that we feel one thought at a time. And this this is the third point that I have for you guys today, is you can change the way you feel by changing the way that you think. And this doesn't happen on accident. In fact, it's a line, changing the way that we think, it's, a, it's almost like a line that we have to cross. Band, if you guys will come back on stage, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. In 1898, Teddy Roosevelt was serving as the assistant secretary to the Navy. And he was approaching the San Juan Hill, San Juan Hill in the Spanish-American War. And, and he describes this moment. Teddy Roosevelt, he, he's the only president who's ever received the Medal of Honor. He's the only, he was the first president to be submerged in a submarine. He did a lot of firsts. He, was, he had a crazy adventurer spirit. And he describes the moment of stepping onto this war with the Rough Riders for the first time. And he reached this line where there was barbed wire. And, and he, he, he describes this, this moment of reaching it where there was this tension within him. Where he, he realized, when I go across this line, I'm entering a war zone. When I go across this line, it's going to mean 
my worst fears come, could come true. It's going to mean I'm engaging in a fight. And, and with a moment of, of hesitation, he stepped over. And, and he describes it as when he stepped across that line, a wolf rose up in his heart. That, that he went and he was described as being the, one of the most valiant warriors that you've ever seen by his men. That, that he took the hill and the next hill with, with an incredible amount of courage. And he had victory that day, but it all kind of goes back to that line. And so much of our spiritual life, so much of our life with God, are these moments where it's like we feel and we sense, God, you're calling me to step across this line, but here at church on Sunday, I, I don't know if I can say yes, because when I cross that line, I don't know what that's going to mean for other areas of my life. And I'm afraid for what ha might happen if I say yes to you now. I'm afraid if I might fail. I'm afraid of what people will say. And some of us don't ever enter the fight. And you've been living with a version of yourself that you don't particularly care to be anymore. And in this new year, I want you to have resolutions, but I want you to have resilience. I want you to, to decide that God, whatever, whatever line it is that you're asking me to step across, I'm going to step into the fight. I'm going to declare war on this version of myself that I don't want to be anymore. I'm going to be who you've called me to be. And church, I believe that the fight is largely won in your mind. And so we don't want to just go through the motions of not thinking about, not, not realizing that we have control over what we think. And what we think has control over what we do. So church, let's make a decision. We're going to honor God with what lives in our mind. We're going to set our eyes and we're going to see people through the realities of heaven and the way that we live this week, this month, and this year. And we're going to see God do incredible things in our life and in this city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you don't leave us to fight this fight on our own. That even when we feel like we have shredded up half of our life, that you look and you say, I can redeem that. I can write a story out of that. That I can replace the thoughts that have been accusing you, the thoughts that have been damning you, the thoughts that have been holding you back with my scriptural truth of joy, of love, the fact that we are adopted children of God, that the Spirit of God lives in us and empowers us to move, walk, and have our being. So Father, be at work in our hearts, be at work in our lives. Help us wage war against the person that we don't want to be anymore so that we can be all that you've asked us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.